We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Resurrection on September 26, 1980. It was written by Louis John Carlino, directed by Daniel Petrie, and released by Universal Pictures. The first version of the script was written by Stephen Geller, based on an idea from producers Renee Missel and Howard Rosenman. Geller did not stay on as screenwriter far enough in the process to get a credit, but credited screenwriter Louis John Carlino worked closely with Ellen Burstyn at her home, and together they observed healing centers, consulting with Reverend Rosalind Bruyere, who is a renowned faith healer, and whose work with UCLA on a bunch of different studies was very helpful to advising the production. Ellen Burstyn and Eve Legallion were nominated for Oscars for Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress, respectively. Ellen Burstyn's birth name is Edna Ray Galuli, and she was able to weave a lot of her own philosophical beliefs into the character of Edna May. We start with bizarre opening titles of this rainbow hand with spectral colors against just a black background. I, I was not sure what this movie was going to be. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I remember you giving us the synopsis for the last episode, and I, I was like, okay. But then when this, like, crazy, like, optical effect mm-hmm. hand came up, it was like, I maybe I don't know this movie. <laughs> it reminded me of The Dead Zone a little bit. A little but bit. this is before The Dead Zone. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, this, this is the first thing that's actually felt kind of 90s to me. Like yeah. it, it fe- because of all these funny optical effects, like it, it felt more modern than a lot of the eighties movies we've yeah. been watching so far. I agree. We start with two couples walking across a tide pool. One of the husbands tells his wife about sea anemones and then moves in to touch one and pretends it's eating his finger to scare them. Later, one of the women, our lead character Edna, tells her friend that she bought Joe, the prankster, a car for his birthday, fancy one too, a Triumph T R seven. Her friend says, hey, those are expensive. And she says, well, I have this insurance policy, see? Which I don't know what that part meant. Uh, I'm assuming that she cashed it out. Well, either way, she's saying, it turns out the payment is like 250 a month, and she can make that easy at her job, so she must be rolling in it. Like, that's, she said 250 is not a significant portion of her salary. Yeah, which in $1980, that's a pretty big yeah. Yeah. chunk of change. And we never really find out what she does. Right. And she's only doing it for presumably the first two scenes of this movie, and then she <laughs> well, quits that job. But also, she presumably is no longer paid for that car after the first That's few true. scenes of this yeah. movie. Well, because uh, I have well, this insurance policy. See, <laughs> I mean, wouldn't but wouldn't she still be paying for it? I mean, you bought the car because well, yeah. But if you if you have insurance, if you do have insurance on the car and you total the car, That's true. insurance covers it. We cut to Edna and Joe having morning sex. Uh, she's wishing him a happy birthday. And he's not excited about aging. I, I like I like that you refer to it as morning sex, only because it's twelve twenty in the morning. <laughs> yes, well, only because he's about to get ready to get up and go to work. But uh, she asks for more sexy times, and he says that he's all kissed out. You know, you can't beat a dead horse. And then she reaches around him in bed and says, "You sure? Mm. What horses? 
I definitely feel life in that horse. Think there's a little bit of life in that? Uh-huh, I think so. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> that is not a dead horse. <laughs> Which marks the first time in the film that she's able to resurrect something with her healing hands. <laughs> As he leaves work that afternoon, she waits with his new car and a happy birthday sign. He seems only happy about it, where I feel like previous 80s husbands would be very emasculated by her doing this, especially in front of her co-workers. Yes! I thought for sure this was going to go horribly bad for her. Yeah, that he was just going to be like, what are you doing, like, showing off our money in front of my friends and, like, making it look like I, you provide for me? Yeah. But no, he's just like, hey, this is a cool car. Awesome, honey. Thanks. <laughs> it's like, he's such a great guy. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Uh, they take the car down PCH, and Joe keeps taking his eyes off the road to thank Edna for the car when suddenly a kid skateboards out in front of them, and she screams about it, and he has to swerve the car off the, a cliff to avoid hitting this kid. I mean, he doesn't have to swerve off the cliff. There's plenty of road on the other side. Or could but, just hit the kid. <laughs> yeah, or just hit the kid. It's his fault. The car goes off a cliff and flips over and explodes on the beach. <laughs> We see a heart rate monitor flatlining and Edna's on an operating table. Suddenly we're looking directly into a light in a dark room, but the light is broken into fractals around a silhouette of something. We see a crowd of people in this dark room that are just silhouetted by this one point of light. In POV, we see two men in southwestern clothes, a young girl running up to an older woman, all pointing us toward the light. We see a young man in a full military uniform. And then the last silhouette that we approach seems to be Joe, with his jacket draped over his shoulder, still wearing his hard hat from his last shift, when we suddenly slam into reverse, and she wakes up in the hospital. She asks the doctor, Joe, and he just says, gone. Which I feel like is unnecessarily <laughs> blunt yeah. for someone yeah. just coming out of a coma. This is a bedside manner yeah. is not yeah. here. Uh, he tells her that she's undergone some operations, that she has a blood clot in her spinal cord that's preventing her from using her legs, and that the nerves were severed below the knee, so she will never walk unassisted again. Her dad shows up and says the family sends their regards. <laughs> and her friends, the Krolls, presumably the other beach couple, helped him with Joe's funeral, which apparently happened while she's been unconscious. Yeah. He invites her to come home with him to the country to recover, though it's a very open-ended invite, and it seems like he's only offering out of a perceived obligation, and he truly wouldn't care if she refused. He's only there for like two solid minutes and then he leaves it yeah. is it's so weird i'm just mm -hmm. i'm thinking who is helping her who's gonna help her leave the hospital who's gonna pack her apartment who's gonna who's gonna do all these things like this does not seem like a man who is going to do any of these things yeah he and literally was just like all right well i gotta go and it's, it's like, like you got a you got another plan today yeah, yeah you're, like, you're not even living this state going? what are you doing yeah so i just i don't really understand how we get between this scene and the next scene yeah <laughs> i i think he does drive her from this hospital to the graveyard which is the next scene where she's visiting joe's grave and crying over it and basically saying goodbye to it see i would say that he's not uh because she does talk about uh, uh the friends helping her while she's at the grave she talks about the friends like going out the, going through her closet and she found one of his old coats oh okay so maybe so, it is the the crolls are helping her yeah i, I would i would think because I, I really feel like the father would not inconvenience himself <laughs> but he's still apparently in town he's just yeah. waiting at a hotel for her to be ready to go back home mm -hmm. yeah in another pov dream we get closer to joe's silhouette and he smiles before edna wakes up in her father's pickup truck and they're headed out of california they're just east of needles and they pull up to a last chance gas station 
our second for the year after the one in Smokey and the Bandit 2. Edna sees a sign that says God is love and versa visa. And Farnsworth, Richard Farnsworth, comes out and starts pumping their gas. Uh, I would say we've had more last chance gas stations than that. Well, that they that are specifically referred to as last chance gas stations. I okay. don't know. All right, that's fair. I'm like that. We've definitely had some end of the line gas stations, though, like Mother's Day, mm. and uh, sure, maybe, maybe. I guess almost every like, horror movie has yeah. one. There's yeah, definitely yeah, yeah. Friday the Thirteenth, and yeah. um, what was the other one that we just watched that had. I guess Mother's Day was the one I was thinking of, but it wasn't an active gas station in that movie. Um, Farnsworth, whose character in this is, I forget, Esco Brown? Esco Brown. Esco Brown uh, tells Edna about Machu Picchu and how he plans to go there someday. She notices another sign about a two-headed snake and asks him if that's real, and he says it costs her a dime to see it, and then he moves to bring it to her when she shows him her leg braces and that she can't get out of the car. So he comes back with this snake, which I wasn't expecting to be alive. Yeah. <laughs> but it is. And uh, he calls the snake Gemini, and she pets it. And Dad looks pissed off that they're talking to each other, probably because this guy is being more fatherly to her in this mm-hmm. one gas station visit than he has in his entire life. Also, I mean, religion is going to play a large factor in this film. And, you know, tempting someone with a snake tempting, you know, someone yeah. is obviously a metaphor. Um, on their way out, he introduces himself as Esco Brown, and he also offers to tell them an Indian story that will curl their toes and keep them awake for a week for 15 cents. Oh, is that what happened to her feet? Yeah, that's what it was, <laughs> the story. It just took a while to set in. Uh, but Dad says, we are leaving. <laughs> they just drive away. Edna is very touched by Esco's personality, and her eyes are wet with tears before they leave. Once they're back on the road, her dad's like, wow, that guy was crazy, huh? because he just hates everything. She tries to talk about Joe, and Dad is completely silent. It's still hard for us to talk, isn't it? What would you like to talk about? And then she's just like, okay, fine. We don't have to talk about anything. They pull into a small town the next morning. Extended family are there to greet her, and Grandma rushes to the truck but can't maneuver the door lock open. So she's like, Open the door, you idiot, so I can get out of here. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> to Buck, who I think is like her uncle or something. Uncle Buck? Uh, he carries her from the truck to the small home built on her father's property later edna's flipping through a photo book with her grandma and she sees a photo of her deceased mother then she notices a picture of two men who grandma identifies as bill condon and don stratton coincidentally there is a well-known writer director named bill condon whose first credit would come in 1981 for writing strange behavior aka dead kids he later won an oscar for writing gods and monsters in 98 he was nominated for writing Best Picture Winner Chicago. He wrote and directed Kinsey and Dreamgirls. He has a Razzie nomination and win for Twilight Saga Parts 1 and 2, respectively. And apparently, according to Grandma, Bill and Dawn operated some kind of a store, and they used to give her free candy. But there's no indication that this has anything to do with that guy, right? No, but this is, they, they operated a store, they used to give her candy, and then they drowned in a flood. When she was less than three years old. I, 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 I meant the director. Yeah. She, she oh. the director. Sorry. No, sorry. Yeah, no, the director has nothing to do with it. Nobody knew who he was at the time. Okay. I just, He's not, there's no, there's no family connections or anything where it's just like, no. ah, let's give, let's get our buddy in here. And no, it just, it stood out in. to me that it's like, oh, that's a real person's name. And I looked to see, cause Don Stratton sounds really familiar to me too, but I couldn't find who I was thinking of. There is like a war hero named Don Stratton, but it's not the guy I was talking about. 
but yeah so these two guys ran this store and they used to give her candy when she was a kid but they drowned in a flood when she was less than three and as grandma's describing them we're seeing the men in a flashback to that silhouette pre-afterlife tunnel where there were two men standing next to each other like waving at her and then the other people who we had were an older woman and a and a young girl and a boy in a military outfit and her husband these are the all of the people that are waiting for her in the afterlife so not a lot of people she also sees a picture of her brother in his uniform from the war before he was killed in vietnam so that explains the the second to last person before her husband in this on this trail edna breaks into tears at the photo of her brother and grandma puts the book away and Uh, edna so i think it's a photo of she the next photo is a photo of her and joe being married oh i didn't see that that. yeah Yeah. that's that's the photo that triggers her and then her legs start shaking violently and she says oh don't worry it doesn't mean anything at first i thought they were coming back but and then she breaks into tears the next day they have a party at the farm presumably in her honor she's telling some children about the two-headed snake but they don't seem to believe her she tells them to go ask grandpa john the kids leave and edna's cousin kathy sits beside her and fills her in on who everybody is because she hasn't been here for a while she starts with doc lurkins playing horseshoes because he's a well-known cheater he's playing alone <laughs> kathy then you, moves how on. how do you cheat at horseshoes i don't know that's a great question maybe when you're going to pick him up you just like kick it closer yeah, but you like, can oh. see where somebody throws it yeah but maybe if you're if you can't tell you're just like oh that one's touching you can tell it's touching and then you kick it over when you get there kathy then moves on to a pair of gossipy old ladies who play no further part in the film and lastly she describes ada and earl carpenter a couple of holy ghosters earl is a self-styled parson and gives fire and brimstone sermons doesn't seem to affect their son cal though now there's a piece of work and i take this to mean that her son is a their their son is a well-known shitty person with no fear of damnation but also if they don't really like these people why are they there i don't know oh but i I guess if the father likes them maybe the father is into it yeah maybe he likes them because nobody likes them because he's an ass well he seems to be on the same page in terms of uh following the bible that's true edna asks about a dog clancy and kathy explains that her dad beat the dog savagely for eating a bunch of beef jerky and now it just lays in the grass all day once the story gets going i was sure we would get a scene of her actively curing this dog but no she just kind of befriends it the way a non-gifted person would the kids come back and say grandpa confirmed the snake story but the girl still disputes it and chance until her nose starts bleeding all over her (laughs) And we come to understand that this is a regular occurrence for the girl and that she potentially has hemophilia. So this could be a serious emergency. But I still think Kathy's response is unwarranted when she just screams, Oh my God! (laughs) (laughs) But the doctor rushes over and he realizes he doesn't have his his coagulant. And he says, Okay, we're going to have to throw her in the car and head to Ellsworth, which I guess is the nearest hospital. But instead, Edna suddenly demands to hold the child. And everyone just adheres to it well i mean it's really up to the mom but for some reason kathy is like yes let's do this what is that reason because honestly if you have somebody who can't stop bleeding time is of the essence yeah (laughs) but i feel like the two of them definitely have a closer connection than almost anybody else at this party and maybe maybe they both had some supernatural thing like obviously uh edna herself doesn't know that she has any kind of magical powers right Mm -hmm. now so she doesn't even know why she's asking to hold the kid. Right. Like, she's just having a, some sort of gut reaction. Yeah. I can help. 
and i think that she's reacting to that going like this is weird and we're both like we both believe in god this might be something that's happening for a reason i i think that this it's very awkward and i think it could have easily be corrected by a quick bit of storyline like somebody hold her i i'm I'm double parked behind this guy or we need to move like bring the car around like some give her give them some reason that that, would have that that would have felt so much more natural but but instead of give her to me and they're like, what? Even their like reaction is yeah. my, <laughs> my reaction. Like, what? Why? Yeah. And she's, she's like reaching, like, give her to me. Give her to me. It's but like, for, for some no? reason, Kathy's like, sure, take my kid. You know, we, we had a good run. Uh, and Edna lays her hands on the girl and sings her a little song while dabbing at her nose. And the bleeding stops pretty much immediately. And now everyone just seems scared of Edna. Like it's it's not like a relief falls over the crowd where everyone's yeah. just like, "Oh, this is wonderful! Oh, that's so great! I, how did you do that? That's incredible!" They were all just like, "Oh, that's okay." So she's fine now. All right. Well, I gotta go. <laughs> like everyone just kind of backs away and leaves. But um, like, I don't feel like this is such a miracle that yeah. anybody should really feel like, "Oh, she calmed down and stopped bleeding." Yeah. That's that's all. Yeah. So why are we afraid? But uh, after this happens, Grandma asks for Edna's hands and finds them hot as a stovetop. And later, Grandma's asking about this dream that she's described. She asks if there's a bright light at the end of the tunnel and if there's a buzzing sound when she backs away from it. And when Edna confirms, she explains that she knew a woman from Macon who described similar visions. This woman was also briefly declared dead and woke up with similar healing abilities. Edna says she can't believe it was a supernatural power, and Grandma says it doesn't matter what you believe. The Lord works in mysterious ways. We cut to Edna in her room that evening, looking down at her legs, and she says, Well, what the hell, Edna May? Crazier things have happened. Which I take issue with. Um, I don't think crazier things have happened. No. (laughs) (laughs) Also, sometimes I find it cute, and sometimes I don't when she's talking to herself. Yeah. Like, explaining what she's doing. Yeah, this felt a little too on the nose. Yeah, and she goes... All right, I'm going to heal my legs now. I feel that. It's like, it's like, okay, I get what you're doing. You don't need to describe. We could have just to watched me. you do it. You didn't have to say anything. But it's weird that they're giving her so many lines to overexplain what she's doing, and then another character later in the story is given almost no dialogue to explain his thinking, and mm-hmm. so you're just forced to guess at what's going on in his head the whole time. Yeah. She massages her legs and then tries to stand immediately and falls on her face. She crawls to the door when she hears a scratching sound and she opens it to let the dog in. The next day, Edna is able to take some labored steps, so she is making progress. She falls again and her dad hears her crash to the floor. Uh, When he comes to the door, she says, don't worry about it, I just fell. I'm, I'm fine. I'll call you if I need help. That night, she's praying so hard for her legs to work that she melts a fireplace poker in half. Uh, I don't know if she melts it or if she just bends it like a spoon. There is no spoon. Yeah. Um, I was worried because I was like, I was watching this scene. I was like, if she, if it was hot enough to melt yeah. like, everything else Everything's around gonna it. Everything's going to combust. Yeah. Yes. Not only that, but when she reaches over to touch it, I was like, don't grab it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think it was just that she was bending it. Maybe similar yeah. to the laser beam later. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is like I feel like we need to dwell on that more. Yeah, we'll get, we'll get there. there. We'll get there. <laughs> uh, the next day, she has this Beatrix Kiddo moment in bed where she's just. <laughs> you got the same note. <laughs> I know she tries to Beatrix Kiddo her toes. Yeah, <laughs> wiggle your big toe. Uh, she can't make any progress, and then suddenly a fly lands on her foot, which causes her to shake the foot to scare the fly away. Yeah, oh my toe. <laughs> um. 
I was reading an interview today uh, where Ellen Burstyn said that that on set they had a bunch of frozen flies. <laughs> they would put the fly on her foot and then it would slowly thaw out and then oh, fly God. away when she shook her foot. So that was how they got that fly to land on her foot for the scene. That makes sense. Uh, I, I do love Ellen Burstyn. Yeah, she's great. She gathers the family outside to give a demonstration of the progress she's made in secret. She stands from her wheelchair with one crutch, and she takes a few steps before falling back into the wheelchair, but it's clearly a success. She made, right. She's made three full progress. steps that she wasn't supposed to be able to do any of. The doctor pokes her a few times in the leg with a pin to determine how far down the, the nerves are working, and one of the pokes, he intentionally doesn't touch her to see if she's lying about yeah. whether she can feel it or not. Everyone's ecstatic except her shitty dad, who's just worried that he's about to lose his least favorite daughter to the big <laughs> city again. I don't know why you care that she's leaving. So, okay, I know we're getting a little ahead of ourselves with one of these details, but I'd like to cover this. Yeah. So, at some point, we discover that she sort of takes on the ailments of the person that she's healing, or at least this happens once in the film. Yeah. yeah. So, this bothers me when she's healing herself because she already has those ailments. <laughs> so, she shouldn't be able to get rid of them? <laughs> I don't know. Either she should have just been collecting ailments the whole time. Just or you should have just been instantly cured. You shouldn't have had them in the first place. Or, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like either you don't have them in the first place or you can't heal them for some mm. reason. Yeah. And and is she still using the cane for the whole rest of the movie? Um, yes. Uh... Maybe at the very end she's not, but yeah, through most I, I, of it. Yeah, through most of it. Because I feel like it seems weird that she can only like mostly cure herself, but there's that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But she does say, claim to only have a 70% success rate. Okay. So maybe she can only fix herself 70%. But in line with kind of what, what Jesse was saying was if you watch like the Green Mile, he he can heal, but he has to release it in yeah. another form. I don't know if you guys have seen the yes. Green Mile. Yeah. yeah. And so... Uh, I guess we kind of needed something like that. Well, or at least be consistent about it. It bothers me that, I mean, you could have had just the, the mildest nosebleed, you know, for her earlier. It would have, I think sure, it would have yeah. helped establish this mm-hmm. a, as we went on and would have given me a little bit of concern as she went on to heal more and more uh, injured people. But I'm strong enough to deal with it and, mm-hmm. and recover because of my powers. So I'm taking that out of you and into me. But when it's already in you, that doesn't make any sense. Isn't that part of the premise of the movie, Michael? Uh, it's been a long time. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I think I saw familiar. it in theaters, but he was like he was an angel, and he, every time he healed people, he like lost feathers from his wings yeah. or something like that. And then eventually, at the end, he like brings somebody back to life and loses the wings or something. I can't remember. Anyway, probably, probably, I'm mixing that up completely. Later, we see Edna in her room meeting with a man named Ned and his daughter Kelly. He tells Kelly that he doesn't see the use in this visit, that it won't do any good, and she says it won't do any harm either, when suddenly Buck rushes in and says a local man, Cal Carpenter, the son of the Holy Ghosters, is outside drunk in the bed of a truck with a terrible stab wound from a bar fight, and he likely won't make it to the nearest hospital. But he made it here? Yeah. I think they were on their way to the hospital, but it's a ways off. But it seems like the bar would probably be in town, unless unless it's town farm hospital and not hospital in town i'm not sure i didn't see any maps in this one she rushes out to lay hands on the stab wound and the guy keeps flirting with her aggressively until she grabs his head to vulcan head pinch him unconscious she stops the bleeding with her hands and then says well it's not it's not bleeding for now but you should still rush him to the hospital for a checkup we cut to the barn later where a crowd is circled around edna she grabs a man's arm and 
sort of massages it for a minute and then he's able to raise it so i guess it was healed in some way we're not mm-hmm. clear what was wrong with it in the first place next she holds a man a man's ears who's been deaf for 21 years and the man is jumping for joy when he can hear people and other people who know this guy and know that he's deaf think that they rehearsed something and they mm-hmm. told him what to what people were asking him so that he was would be able to respond so they start quizzing him if you can hear me what's the best thing to put into pies your teeth <laughs> what's the worst weather for rats and mice when it rains cats and dogs <laughs> And I was like, he seems to know an awful lot of riddles. Yeah, I think this whole town memorized the same shitty joke book from their <laughs> there. There was only book one in the library. library. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, what's the worst weather for mites and rats? Your teeth. <laughs> <laughs> Get it? Because <laughs> <laughs> he's just crazy now. She did a lot of brain damage in addition to fixing his ears. Cal watches the healings with a smile, but his father, Earl, is getting angrier and angrier. When today's healing session is over, Earl stands and calls her out for not giving God credit for the things she does. Essentially, he wants a share of the profit for her work because if she starts reading scripture and thanking God for the powers, he can pretend like they're doing the Lord's work together. Well, that was Cal's proposition. But I think that's kind of the same thing that this guy's doing. He's like, Mm. you got to give credit to God because otherwise it looks like my thing is a joke. Yeah. So make your thing my thing, please. (laughs) They're the same thing, right? We have the same boss. (laughs) mr thompson he accuses her of having gotten her powers from somewhere other than god specifically hell he says i know it isn't god helping these people because god would speak his name through you apparently god would be super jealous if edna took credit for herself and i'm sure the devil totally wants all of these people healed yeah to embarrass god (laughs) (laughs) uh luckily nobody here is swayed by earl's bullshit and when Edna says goodnight to the crowd, they all applaud loudly over Earl's continuing protestations. Even though he was just standing in the meeting inside, Cal drives up on a motorcycle <laughs> outside, uh, and he's making fun of the things that his father just said inside to remind us, no, I was in there. You're not crazy. I was in that room a second ago. Um, and she doesn't want to talk to him because she thinks that he's just like his dad. But uh, he says he's here to thank her for saving his life. And he asks her out for a drink. She asks him about the fight and if it was over a woman. Cal doesn't answer, but understands that she's asking if he's in a relationship, which she wouldn't ask if she weren't interested. She agrees to meet him at the presciently named Red Gap, the bar where he was stabbed. (laughs) Very brutally. (laughs) Cal tells her about his upbringing, basically a lot of typical strict religious upbringing stuff. Lots of memorizing Cal asks if she wants to see his stitches and the whole bar starts making fun of him for showing them off again. So Cal sits back down without removing his shirt, saving one day of makeup time. <laughs> like they don't have to uh, do a bunch of fake stitches here. Cal says that his dad used to take him to tent meetings and he shares with her his suspicion that the people who are being healed have purely psychosomatic issues, that the people with real problems, cripples and diseases, those people never recover. You know, the real sick ones, the germ sick and the cripples and like that, they stay the same no matter what. He agrees with his father that she should start giving credit to the miracles to God. Almost like protection money. God will be nice to you if you give him all the credit for this healing. She should go find Adam Baldwin. Cal says he can teach her all about the Bible, and she tells him to pay the bill and leaves. 
This is the first of several times when she dumps him over the course of the movie, and they just seem to be an item again in the next scene. Yeah. At the next healing meeting, she specifically addresses the crowd to say she doesn't know where these powers come from, but she will not credit God explicitly. She explains her experience of the miracles, that in her mind she trades places with the people asking for help and feels their pain before she's able to like remove it from their bodies and then mm-hmm. switch back into herself. Cal is obviously pissed that his friend didn't get a shout out again and he goes to visit her that night at her home. He peeks through the windows at her while she's cooking up a small can of beefaroni. So creepy. Like yeah. that's not how you visit people. You don't just yeah. look in their windows. But apparently it works for her. Yeah. She, she says, I'm not home. And he says, well, in that case, I won't come in as he's walking in. She gives him half of her dinner and he keeps making eyes at her, and she's totally falling for this despite all the red flags. How can you split a can of beefaroni? I can't split two cans of beefaroni. <laughs> <laughs> she asks him to leave, and she has to repeat herself. And then he says, well, why don't we shake hands at least? And then he inspects her magical healing hands, and suddenly he is kissing her. And she moves to the door and opens it, not to kick out the asshole who ate half of her beefaroni, but to kick out the dog who yeah. stayed by her side through the whole relearning to walk scene. And whose half of beefaroni was probably going yeah. to go to. <laughs> and so the dog walks out of this shack like a beta cuck. He, he didn't kiss her and like she totally accepted it. Like she was trying to push him off. Yeah, it yeah. looked like it at first, but then she's leaning into it after that. I guess it was, it just really bothered me. Like he forced his way in, then he forced his way out of kissing her. And then she was just totally cool with that. Yeah. And dad's watching all of this from his, from his house up, up in the, the second floor of the building just looking down at the door because he just saw a man go into his daughter's room and he's not coming out the <laughs> <Sorry>. next day <laughs> he's, he's coming all right oh yeah the next day she goes on a long motorcycle ride with cal and they head down to a river she talks about skinny dipping there as a kid and cal asks if that's an invitation he says he has a problem that needs healing how big a problem you got i don't know but i think you better lay your hands on me are you sure you can take it we cut to a full-on tent revival type. <laughs> also, she said that she used to go skinny dipping in that river. That river looks extremely dangerous. Yeah. How the, old were you when you did this? Because the water's moving really quickly, and there's a tree like half submerged. Yeah. It, it looks like it's flooded. It bothers me that this guy gets off on the faith healing, but then like accuses her of not being religious enough about it. Yeah. I'm like, I feel like we have a double standard here, buddy. Yeah. But I imagine she could cure his hemorrhoids, but that it would be extremely painful because her hands get so hot afterwards. <laughs> Where was I? We cut to a full-on tent revival type presentation where for the first and I think only time in the film we see Edna's powers fail her. A girl is splayed across the stage convulsing and Edna says, there's nothing I can do here. Well, I, I her explanation to Pearl right. is that some people pretend to be sick for attention. Oh, yeah, is that, that what she was implying? I yeah. think that's what she was implying. Uh, we kind of talked about this when we were watching the film, but that really bothered me that they're saying that, and and maybe it's one of those psychosomatic things, like she really thinks she's sick and mm-hmm. because she, she needs that, that's how she gets affection from her parents or vice versa. She knows her parents need to give her this affection and that's the way she accomplishes so it. So it's like self-Munchausen by proxy? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> But yeah, her, when her grandma comes up, she says, couldn't you help her? And her exact response is, oh, grandma, some people need their sickness to get love and attention, and some people need it to give those things. And I thought she meant that if I cure this girl, then her parents aren't going to give a shit about her anymore. Well, that's a, a different interpretation, yeah. too. I, 
but uh, maybe she maybe she is saying that she's literally faking it to get any attention well and i think that the the correct term is is munchausen's without the by proxy on yeah it. <laughs> but but no i would agree like well i would say it was munchausen's if that kid was doing it to get attention but if they're doing it to get attention because they feel that the parents need it <laughs> yeah that is weird it's like it's like i don't understand how that works <laughs> Another woman on a stretcher is placed on the stage. Dr. Lurkin pulls her aside and says, And may I have seen her x-rays. She has nearly complete degeneration of two lumbar vertebrae. Well, I haven't seen her pictures, Doc, so I'm a little ahead of you. Which is particularly infuriating to hear in our current pandemic situation. To have someone just go, oh, you know science? Well, then you're way behind me. Um, but yeah. Besides, he just told her everything that he knows from the pictures, so she wouldn't be any further behind if she'd seen the pictures. Yeah, also, I think he's just trying to help. Hey, like, the problem's in her spine. Yeah. I've seen I'm just it. directing your hands to the right area. She sits with the woman on the stage, and she touches her gut and her waist, and she's very quickly more comfortable. Edna convinces her that she can sit up and proves it, and then Edna insists that the woman can also stand on her own. On the sidelines, Cal looks pissed off again. Possibly because Edna isn't thanking God for her work, but maybe also because he's kind of shaken because she's causing, she's actually fixing things that he didn't think faith healers could fix. Mm -hmm. Like the stuff that she's doing right now is unexplainable in his brain. But I don't know if that's the problem because. Yeah, we never understand. He doesn't spell it out. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say there's also two onlookers who are not part of the traditional crowd of people. Yeah. The woman is returned to her family, cured, and the crowd breaks into applause. And on her way to the car, Edna is approached by these two, Paul Hankins and Joyce Baxter from the California Institute of Psychology. They would like to do experiments to determine the source of her abilities because they have studied her successes. And the change in the healed people seems permanent, unlike other healing cases they've followed up on, where after a couple days, the person falls right back into the problem and it's just they were trying to psych themselves out of it. They really don't give her anything in the way of motivation to cooperate with them, though. They tell her that they have machines that can measure things and (laughs) that they would like her to come back and do some tests for them. And he says, don't worry, the tests won't cost you any money. Like, we'll pay for the tests. And it's like, yeah, I wasn't worried that I was going to have to pay for tests that I don't want to take. But they're not offering her payment to come and take the tests. Right. There's there's no motivation for her. because Pick up and move to California and take some tests with us for nothing. Right. So stop your work that you're really proud of and come and help us. And also there's no benefit except that we might debunk you. Yeah. Right. But they might also, I mean, in the long run, they could be helping more people because if they learn how to kill people on purpose and bring them back from the brink, then you could have more healers. You could have like a healer factory. A flatliners kind of thing. Yeah. But you just start making a bunch of faith healers by just killing people on purpose. You just have a line of cars getting pushed off cliffs. Uh, also, is she being paid in some way or compensated for these heals? We never but, see any transaction. Like, yeah. It doesn't seem like it. Yeah, I, I mean, I suppose that's more altruistic for her character. But, yeah. Uh, I was just, at the same time, it was just like, well... It's like, yeah, th- thanks for doing all this stuff for me. See ya. Yeah. Who's like, going to buy those cans of beefaroni? I know, right? Those have been in that shack for years. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she tells these people that it doesn't feel right to experiment with her powers. And uh, as they're leaving, she complains to Cal about it. But Cal doesn't seem like he feels like talking at all. She's like, well, why do I even bring you to these things? Every time I bring you to these things, you get mad at me. He's like, shut up. I don't want to talk about it. It's like, okay, fine, whatever. 
Yeah, I, my notice. Whatever, I love you unconditionally. Yeah, I put Cal's upset about something. Yeah. <laughs> we have to keep guessing because he never actually says anything out loud. He starts a couple times to explain his problem and then just walks away from it. At home, he digs a Bible out of his dresser. At his home, he digs a Bible out of his dresser and he sits down to read it. Back at Edna's place, they're arguing again, and Cal hints that now his problem is that he thinks she is God or something. Uh, before he was mad that she wouldn't give God credit, but now he's mad because she is God. Or she's working through God. He's convinced now that she is a, a tool of God. Yeah, a prophet or yeah. such. Edna succinctly spells out my problem with this character. I don't understand you at all. Yeah, I guess you don't. Well, you know, you're not exactly much help. I'm sorry about that. It's just something I can't. You can't what? I'm listening. What? And he just leaves. Cal rides his bike away, and suddenly there's an angry knock at the door. It's Dad, and he thinks she's a whore because she has <laughs> a guy in the house. He tells her to get out, and he says he hopes that he never sees her again, and she says the same back to him, and then collapses back into her room sobbing. And then immediately goes to see Cal again. Yeah. <laughs> Why? She goes back to her shitty, abusive Ugh. boyfriend. And uh, she tells him that she's headed to Los Angeles to take these tests for no reason. And does he want to come? So for the first test, they point a laser beam past <laughs> her and she's able to bend it with her hands. And not just like a little bit, like a, a degree of arc. No, it's, it's like, like a 30 degree bend. It's it's a significant bend and they're all like flabbergasted. Nothing comes of it. No. It's like she can bend light like this is important you could use her in a telescope right? <laughs> it's, it's put her up in the hubble yeah uh, what do <laughs> i do in space but also just a bunch of beefaroni on the ship how does this relate to her actual ability i don't is know she, is she literally sucking bending the disease out of these people i don't, I don't understand know. how this works i guess it's just to show that she can manipulate energy but i i don't but also uh, you know, cast iron bars. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And unbend legs. Unbend my legs. I, I, I meant to rewatch Firestarter uh, before this. Sure. Uh, because they, they have a similar thing about where they're trying to ascertain the nature of mm -hmm. her ability and put it to its limits. I feel that, you know, the next test that we're about to get into is a much more significant test what about the tests in Simon where they take all the samples from him? And he has claymation Alan Arkin sperm. <laughs> yeah, the next test makes more sense. In their Los Angeles hotel room, we see the aftermath of a failed lovemaking attempt. Cal seems to be having performance issues, a recurring issue as of late. And he gets really mad at her again, but never delves into why, insisting she knows and won't say. <laughs> Which is like as frustrating as he gets in this movie, where it's just like, He's just yelling at her for something she did wrong, but he won't explain it, and she has no idea what he's talking about. Yeah, my note is, why is he here? Uh, yeah. I don't, I'm not entirely sure why she brought him to these tests. I don't think this character's even necessary to the story. I think what he's doing could have been completely covered by having Earl show up and say some dumb shit every once in a while. Yeah. Because I don't believe this relationship. It just makes me mad every time it comes up. Well, because she... Cause she she makes no sense i mean like obviously he makes no sense because he's not explaining himself at all to us or her but it's frustrating because what she's doing is illogical too right it doesn't seem in her character to want to be with him in the first place and then mm -hmm. keep going back to him after all these incidents yeah which is why 
it's actually hurting her character because I'm caring less about what happens to her because she's making these terrible decisions over right. and over again. For the next stage of the experiments, Edna is presented with a patient suffering from dystonia musculorum deformans. The woman's face is locked in a tight smirk and her arms and legs are all curled up with extremely tightened muscles. Edna is invited to begin the healing process in front of a full audience of doctors and experts. She apologizes in advance to the woman if she's unable to help and warns her about her hands heating up but says, don't worry, they won't burn you. Edna asks if she can get up on the table with the woman and she lays the woman against her chest and holds her from behind. As Edna takes on the sickness, her face tightens and her arms and legs curl up like the woman's and then suddenly the patient's limbs are loosening and she appears cured completely of her ailment and immediately starts crying while Edna collapses to the floor all curled up. Slowly Edna's limbs uncurl and we cut to the afterlife world again to see a vision of her father projected on a waterfall of mist. All the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, there was a credit in the beginning for like special visual effects yeah. like sequences and I was just like, I feel, I, I'm not trying to be mean, but I was just like, this is as special as it got like yeah. projection on mist i i think i kind of liked the effect i, mean, I like the afterlife effect from the first the first sequence mm. where like every time you see like the lit edge of a person that it like blurs completely away from the light and everything too i mean i think it's a cooler effect when you're riding in a boat and go over a waterfall but yeah. you know it works here too yeah. it looks better <laughs> than what maurice binder did for time travel in the final countdown I'll tell you that much <laughs> Back home, she speaks to her unresponsive father about the time he ruined her life. Evidently, she got pregnant young, and he demanded that she have an abortion and brought in a horse doctor to perform it, rendering her infertile for life. She blames her father for every wrong thing that's happened, that he drove her mother into a depression that killed her and urged her brother into a war that claimed his life, but for some reason she still loves him, and she tells him how wonderful the afterlife is going to be. So I'm assuming that in the vision, we see those two guys that ran the store. They gave her candy. We see a little girl run up to her mom, which I assume is her daughter and her mom. And then we see her brother from Vietnam and then her husband who passed away. Hmm. But if she were to go back now, her dad would probably be in that lineup just scowling at her like an asshole. So you think the little girl in the vision is supposed to be her daughter? I think so because everyone else is a significant person in her life. Yeah, but... Do you age in the afterlife? I don't know. But the little girl runs up to grandma like, oh, hey, grandma, like runs up to her. Mm. And the two of them are pointing together towards the light. Go to the light. Go to the light. Like you're going to come and you're going to meet your unborn child in the afterlife. But I feel like if you do age, it must not be in real time because that kid would be much older. Yeah, they should all be much older. In the night, she wakes up to her father trying to speak in bed. And he chokes out light, oh, oh my, before dying. Light. Light. Yes, Daddy. Oh. Oh, my. Cal reads a Bible in his room out loud to himself and chain smokes like a maniac. Suddenly, he's confronting Edna in her home. He, like, kicks open the door, and she's sitting there. Can we go back to the dad dying for a second? Sure. So, they come... She comes back... Because she had the vision. ...to see him before he dies. Right. Doesn't actually try to heal him. Yeah. 
but does try to have some sort of heart to heart with him to try to like come to terms with their relationship but then there's no resolution yeah what is the point of this scene i don't know because she comes in and she does she even says a line like you know dad i can help you and and you think like he's gonna refuse her help that's what i was expecting yeah and 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 he'd said he'd rather die than accept help from his daughter who he hates but they don't do that yeah but i i thought that she was gonna say i can help you dad i'm not going to Mm but I can help you. Well, either of those would have made sense. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. It's, it, but we don't have any sort of like character reveal here right. that moves the story further. Because he's never conscious. He just yeah. drifts out into the vision that she was having and he can mumble a couple words from it before he passes on and that's it. Cal reads a Bible in his house out loud to himself, chain smoking like a maniac. Suddenly he just like kicks in the door to Edna's place and she's like sitting at a dinner table and it's just completely terrified when he comes in. Mm-hmm. And he says, You are the living Christ. No. You are the resurrection. The fulfillment of his promise to us. I'm not the living Christ. But if she were, would she be denying it so vehemently? Yeah. Like, I feel like if she were the second coming of Jesus, she'd be like, yes, that's what I am. I'm doing this on behalf of the Lord. Like, what's the point of sending that message if you're not going to like put a t- a, your name on it? But then cal tackles her onto the bed and straight up accuses her of being jesus and he has a big hand around her neck pressing her down into the bed and she doesn't seem nearly scared enough of this guy we cut to cal loading a shotgun in his living room while edna's leading another healing service in an open field well what's even worse is when she's when she convinces him that she says no i'm not i'm not you have to believe me and he leaves she gets up and goes cow and chases after him I was yeah. like no there, there, there is no there's no bigger red flag than he burst in saying you have to admit that you're jesus and trying to strangle you to your bed just <laughs> i love you jesus stop chasing him down but the she's uh she's giving this service in an open field and then cal approaches on his motorcycle and he just drives through the crowd aiming the shotgun at edna and as he crashes the bike he fires a shot and it hits her in the shoulder, and he just shouts, He shall be revealed! Like a complete fucking insane person. I I, I thought that this scene was going to go a couple of different ways. Yeah. I thought, he, one, he was going to start opening fire into the crowd. Just kill everybody. Just kill everybody. And be like, how many people can you heal today? Yeah, exactly. No, I was going to say, like, yeah. Yeah, if you, you're going to prove yeah. who you are because you're going to heal all these people I'm going to slaughter. Or, or that he just goes in the middle of the place and shoots himself in the head, and it's like, fix that, and then tell me you're not Jesus. <laughs> Um, but also I just thought, yeah, she's, he's just going to straight up kill her yeah. and she's going to die and that's going to be the end because mm-hmm. of all this. Yeah. Because the rest of her story has basically been wrapped up. Yeah. Other than like countless extras she could be healing. But, uh, yeah, she's, she gets shot in the shoulder and the crowd basically circles Cal on the floor and she's screaming, don't hurt him, please don't hurt him. I love that man. Take us to a chapel right now. <laughs> she's not saying that much, but. She's clearly still very attached. And we cut to Edna leaving the farm. She's packing up all of her stuff because dad said she had to go and it doesn't matter that he died. Well, it's not, I don't think she's the only one leaving the farm. I think yeah. they're all leaving. Well, I don't think the rest of them lived there. I think it was just her dad and her. I think oh, okay. the rest of them lived further down yeah, the street. Yeah, because they had trucks loaded up with furniture. And... I think they were just taking all of her dad's stuff because <laughs> they're basically abandoning this house. Yeah. As soon as, as, soon as their truck leaves and she leaves the place because she takes uh she takes the dog clancy with her and then we just watch a decade blow by Mm -hmm. of storms and wind just tearing this house apart but um 
before they do leave there's a quick moment with with grandma who wanted to have a private goodbye and she has the last line that she has in their conversation seems like a direct jab at the religious fundamentalism of the movie when she says if we could just love each other as much as we say we love him i suspect there wouldn't be the bother in the world there is which i think it's interesting that the way she words it is the way the way we say we love him not like the way we love him Mm -hmm. that it's she's just calling out all the crazy religious people in this movie for pretending that they're very religious but only really caring about what they're doing but i did like the joke that you made when we were when we were watching it where she grandma says you know i just got this terrible feeling this might be our last goodbye and she says well you saved me a good place on the other side well i thought you were dying (laughs) not me (laughs) people are shooting at you (laughs) but yeah they all they all leave and we watch this the farm is basically just getting blown apart the door is all torn up the windmills are tipping over and no one ever comes back to this place we cut to an rv driving through the desert where two parents are trying to engage their son in a conversation about the road trip adventures they have planned the kid is missing hair and patches all over his head they pull into the last chance gas station near the state line and the father calls for assistance from the station and a much older edna than we left with comes out of the shop the child bobby asks if he can have a drink and edna sends him to take whatever he likes while he's away she asks the parents about his sickness and they explain that he has cancer and they plan this road trip so he could enjoy what time he has left bobby finds a puppy who edna tells him is clancy the third and she invites bobby's parents to check out a collection of desert plants around the back while she chats with their son that'll distract him good <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like look at all these plants yeah it's like it's like what are those plants underneath that camo tent don't go over there yeah <laughs> but how interested could they possibly be in, like they're gone for like 45 minutes it seems like what are they huel hauser <laughs> wow a cactus oh wow <laughs> um but she asks bobby if he wants to see a two-headed snake and she tells him it was alive when she first came here but the man who found it named it Gemini. And then we see a photo of Esco at Machu Picchu mm-hmm. with the words, Hi, Edna, I made it. Love Esco. So he made it to Machu Picchu. I'm assuming that she came back and was like, Hey, I have a bunch of money. You go to Machu Picchu. I'll run the gas station. Yeah. Forever. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. She relieved him of his duties and he died on Machu Picchu. In front of the gas station, Edna tells Bobby the story of Indian Joe that we were denied earlier. <laughs> Edna asks if Bobby wants to keep Clancy the third, and the kid seems to know all about his condition and worries. I don't think I'll be around to take care of him. Mom and Dad come back very impressed with Edna's garden. So, so, so keep in mind, she said, "Go check out my plants." She takes him inside, shows him the snake, and talks about her life there. And then tells him the whole Indian Joe story. Indian story. <laughs> then discusses his illness. Hasn't bothered and to heal dog. him this yeah, entire time. Yeah, sweet time on this one. Just like, are we deciding whether or not he's worthy of yeah. healing? Like, is this seven-year-old okay? She's just okay? waiting for this kid to accidentally say something racist so that she can be like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Mom and dad come back very impressed with the garden, and Bobby asks if they can keep the puppy that Edna just gave him. <laughs> I feel the, like the parents are into it. They're like, just like, "Oh, we can replace you when you're dead." This yeah, is perfect. Yeah, but at first, at first, they're like, "I don't think that's such a good idea." Like, I don't. We're on a. We're going to be on a road trip for a long time. The dog's going to shit in our RV. Uh, this wasn't part of the plan. And uh, then the dad eventually is like, "All right, well, how much can I pay you for the dog?" And she says, "You just pay me for the gas." And he's like, "Oh shit, I didn't pay you for the gas. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, I'll do that right now." And she said, "The kid's going to pay for the dog." And they were like, "What?" And then she's like, "With his life," as she stabs him. <laughs> <No>. <clears throat> uh, she says, "With a big hug." 
And then we see long, her long, awkward yeah. groping oh, hug yeah. in yeah. front of your parents. Like, and after you say that the kid's gonna pay for it, it's just like, wait, lady, like, what are you into? Like, I think I would have stopped this hug halfway through. And I then... wouldn't have left her alone with my kid for almost an hour. Yeah, <laughs> unless they were like, oh man, if this lady kills the kid, the insurance policy will pay off oh, way more than the yeah. cancer. It's gonna save so much time. We can make it back to California tonight. Uh, but she works her magic with this long hug, and then we freeze frame on Edna's face having saved the kid's life, which presumably. Is, yeah, which is the worst idea. Uh, just, just end the film with the RV driving off or something. I hate this freeze frame yeah. ending. Um, also, is this the future or the present? I think it's the we've moved into the present. The rest okay. of it is all pretty timeless. Okay, because like I mean, because can we assume that she's been working here for twenty years, maybe? I don't know if it's been that long. I think at the at the I think least we're in it, the future now, though, because the car at the beginning is like a 1980 car. Yeah, is it? Yeah, the yeah. Triumph. Like, yeah. yeah, that's a that's a pretty modern car. It okay. seemed so. It wasn't like that was a car from the 50s or 60s. So maybe the RV should have been hovering. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I I'm with her because because I was like. So wait a minute. What, that's what I was wondering now. I was thinking back. I was like, what year was it supposed to be taking place in? I don't think it's 20 years because it would be weird that they're driving such an old RV with their kid. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's why I'm trying to understand what, yeah. what, how much time has passed. I, I, at the, at the least, it's been like seven or eight years because she says, well, we've oh, had well, three I have generations rather... of dog. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, you can kill a dog real quick. <laughs> I, I also wondered if uh, <laughs> if you work them hard enough, <laughs> if you step on their heads, yeah. as we know Patrick is yes. inclined to do. <laughs> no, I think um, I think maybe it's Clancy the Third because whenever it gets really old, she just massages it into a puppy again. Oh gosh, <laughs> <laughs> she's just—it's—it's it's still the same Clancy. It's just been—it's getting gene therapy every every seven years um, until she gave it away. Um, but I like the other joke that you made though, where she's like hugging the kid and he's like, well, we really got to get going. She's like, no, 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 I'm not done yet. And he's like, okay, that's really weird. Like he takes the kid away before she can finish. Yet. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> and then the kid just dies of cancer like the next day because she wasn't able to finish the hug. She's like, ah, I, I like telling that India Joe story too much. <laughs> oh, Why didn't I hold him on my lap when I told the story that oh. I would have had contact? I should have planted more cactuses back there. <laughs> I thought 500 was enough. Our director for this. <laughs> it's a labyrinth of cactus. Yeah, they're just lost in there forever. And and hold on. So the it's parents, like the end of The Shining. They're just frozen. When they're back there, or when they come back from being back there, they were like amazed that the cactuses were in bloom this time mm. of year. Yeah, they're like, it's September. How did you do that? And she's like, I massaged she, all my cactuses. Yeah, she wastes her time by massaging cactuses. Like, yeah. bring them or, back to Well, life. maybe she bends the sunlight. You know that she can <laughs> bend light. Yeah. Uh, our director here was Daniel Petrie. He directed A Raisin in the Sun, The Neptune Factor, from the writer of A Man Called Horse, Fort Apache, The Bronx next year, and Rocket Gibraltar, and Cocoon, The Return. He's also the father of filmmakers Daniel Petrie Jr. and Donald Petrie. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel wrote Beverly Hills Cop and Turner and Hooch, as well as writing and directing Toy Soldiers and In the Army Now. Donald directed Mystic Pizza, Grumpy Old Men, Richie Rich, My Favorite Martian, Miss Congeniality, and perhaps most importantly, his first director credit was for MacGyver episode Trumbo's World. Yeah. <laughs> Can't not talk about it. Writer Louis John Carlino wrote the 72 and 2011 versions of The Mechanic. He wrote Crazy Joe in 74 
and he wrote and directed The Great Santini last year. 79, not 2019. Ellen Burstyn played Edna. She's Chris McNeil in The Exorcist, for which she got an Oscar nomination for Best Actress. She's Lois Farrow in Last Picture Show, for which she got an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actress. She's Alice Hyatt in Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, for which she won Best Actress. She's Sarah Goldfarb in Requiem for a Dream, for which she was nominated for Best Actress. And she also got a Best Actress nomination for Same Time Next Year in 1979, the film that the parents in Ordinary People went to see a community theater production of (laughs) in Ordinary People. And what about... The two movies that I think of her from yeah. are uh, Divine Secrets of the Yeah Yeah Sisterhood. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. She's so, in there? Oh, yeah. She's like the main character. Um, but yeah, I definitely I was just like, oh, I know this woman really well. And it's from that movie. Yeah. Uh, and The Spitfire Girl. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, I always think of uh, Requiem for a Dream because I always have that, uh, I'm Sarah Goldfob. I'm going to be on television. Um, she's great in that movie. Sam Shepard was Cal. He played Chuck Yeager in The Right Stuff. He played Spud Jones in Steel Magnolias. He was Frank James in The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Richard Farnsworth was Esco Brown. He has a bit part in Gunga Din. The credit is literally bit part, so I don't know what that means. Yeah. He's a soldier in Gone with the Wind. He's an uncredited chariot driver in The Ten Commandments. He plays a salt mine slave in Spartacus. He also has uncredited roles in Papillon, Blazing Saddles, Outlaw Josie Wales, and he was John Coble earlier this year in Tom Horn, the mm-hmm. guy that employed Tom Horn as a, as a, what did he call him, a cattle detective or something yeah. like that? Yeah, stock detective. Robert's Blossom was John Harper. He's Chester Doc Dalton in Escape from Alcatraz. He plays a farmer in Close Encounters. He's George LeBay in Christine. He plays Doc Wallace in The Quick and the Dead, which I didn't realize he was around as that late as Quick and the Dead. But he's probably best known as Old Man Marley in Home Alone, out there salt in the snow. Uh, up until he died in this movie, I was convinced that this might be the prequel to Home Alone, where he lost touch with his daughter because she became a a prostitute faith healer. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then, then he, he reunites with yeah, her at the Kevin end. Kevin McAllister yeah, yeah. convinced him to give her a call. <laughs> um Clifford David played George. Who is George in this movie? Uh, correct. <laughs> I don't know who George is. I don't know. I don't recognize the guy's picture. I mean, I recognize it from other movies, but I don't recognize it from this. I, I could find nothing. But Clifford David played a professor from Columbia University in Signs. He's Professor Smithson in 2004's Kinsey from writer-director Bill Condon, <laughs> the name of a ghost in this film. Dr. Bruno in Exorcist 3, but he's best known to me as Beef Oven mm-hmm. in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. But I have no idea who he was in this movie. I think he's just one of the the, the friends of the family that's around. Like, Does he have any lines? Um, he's he's credited fifth. Jeffrey DeMunn was Joe. Uh, he'll be back this year in The First Deadly Sin and Christmas Evil. He plays Harry Terwilliger in The Green Mile, speaking of that movie. He's Braunschweig on X-Files. He's Captain Estridge in The Hitcher. And he's probably best known at the moment for having played Dale on The Walking Dead. Eve Legallion played Grandma Pearl. This was her first movie since the 50s and her last feature film credit. Lois Smith played Kathy, her cousin. She was Mrs. Axman in Foxes earlier this year. She was very recently Sister Sarah Joan in Lady Bird. She was Meg Green in Twister. And she's Mrs. Glenn in The Nice Guys. Madeline Sherwood was Ruth. 
that was the woman who was was healed on the uh on the platform during the oh, yeah, tent revival tent. she played may pollitt in cat on a hot tin roof and we had her earlier this year as trish vandeveer's mom in the changeling for the seance scene i don't remember why her mom would have been there but she was richard hamilton played earl carpenter that's the angry preacher guy he played jed blankenship and pale rider he played judge harold lake in mo money he played a bartender in the sure thing and he's also agent d partner of agent k of the men in black at the start of the first film mm-hmm. he's the one who's losing his touch and retires from the from the organization so that will smith can join speaking of the smiths lane smith played don we had him earlier this year as mickey rooney jr's agent in honeysuckle rose he was perry white on the adventures of lois and clark also in another 1980 title called on the nickel that i've had a very difficult time trying to locate and he's also in something called the war at home in 1996 penelope allen played ellie she played sylvie in dog day afternoon she was maddie earp in doc which is a a story about um doc holiday and she's also in another 1980 title called on the nickel that i've had a hard time locating (laughs) and she's also in something called the war at home in 1996 so the two of them were in three movies together penelope allen and uh lane smith george spurdakos played dr hankins that's the guy who meets her at the tent revival and invites her to california for tests not many credits i recognized but one i know and love was the opera critic from dirty work when jack warden's character in the movie interrupts a performance of don giovanni in a hospital gown and starts hitting on the actress on stage and this guy thinks that it's just like a brave new take on the story and he just starts going bravo bravo and after everyone leaves in the opera's ruined he's the only one giving a standing ovation uh bernard barons played dr fisher he was james gladstone in the man with two brains robert lingstrom in the changeling earlier this year and next year we'll have him as commander ilvar in galaxy of terror Uh, that's all the credits i had does anybody have any other credits they wanted to talk about i don't have any other credits i just noticed an interesting thing about the poster for the film uh because it uh it so you can see how the or the heart monitor the heart monitor because it reminded me a lot of the china syndrome poster (laughs) oh that's funny (laughs) which uh is is a seismometer (laughs) yeah that's funny that was the only thing i was just like i was like oh that's just like the movies are only a year apart and they both used kind of a similar yeah also but that doesn't really the heart monitor really doesn't play too much no they're just trying to be like death yeah death is involved but but it's showing it active oh i guess it's flat first then active again yeah but I guess I would, I would have shown it active, flat, then active. I don't yeah. know. Apparently, the original version of the story was much darker, which I think like put it more in the neighborhood of the dead zone. But um, this one uh, was basically supposed to be like the next Exorcist. That's what they thought it was going to be when they started. And and she was like, yeah, I already did the Exorcist. I don't want to do another Exorcist. And then the screenwriter was like, well, no, I thought it would be just a, a story on faith versus you know nature and and your belief structures and Mm -hmm. how that would affect a community and and so she was very interested in the screenwriter's take on it and the story is much more what the screenwriter wanted than what they were originally pitching her on um but yeah um it's all right the movie's really weird i don't think i don't think it knew what it wanted to be because i don't think it really takes a stand on anything i think the direction is weird because I don't think the characters are very consistent. Well, I don't know what they're trying to say about any of this stuff. 
Yeah. I think I was waiting for a really big shoe to drop or a really bad thing to happen. Yeah. And it really doesn't happen. It's not like like f- like movies that are similar, like I would say, like Phenomenon yeah. or Firestarter, uh, which I mentioned earlier, where like in Phenomenon, like people are just so scared of him that bad mm-hmm. things happen to him. Mm-hmm. And like it gets at really out of hand. And I yeah. thought for sure that that's what was going to be happening with these big revivals where her crowds were getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Right. Um, that this something is going to go terribly wrong. Um, but that doesn't happen. I mean, aside from her getting shot at the end by her weird boyfriend yeah, that she keeps but, going right, back but to she for doesn't no reason. Get, it, like, it literally doesn't affect her at all. Right, yeah. right. It doesn't even stop her from being able to heal. Yeah. Or being able to drive a car, apparently. Yeah. Well, it just bothers me that we don't really have an opinion about anything one way or another. You know, yeah. it's it, and nobody's opinion about these things change over the course of the film the right. father's the same beginning to end the i mean we don't really see his crazy at the beginning but i think that the you know cal character doesn't actually change beginning to end uh she doesn't change she's just like yeah i have these powers and it just is what it is oh well yeah so i, I just feel like nobody has an arc at all yeah yeah i would say the closest to an arc that anybody has is cal and it's just a steady curve downward yeah. <laughs> he just goes completely insane <laughs> But it feels weird that you would have that character be so one note where it's just like, uh, who's this guy? Oh, he's kind of a jerk, but he's also crazy and he's getting mm-hmm. worse. And now he's now he's cr- now he's completely insane. Yeah. Now he's shooting at like him. if they were going to like try to tie this into like like his father's beatings took a toll on him more than he really realized. Like, but then this movie's about him. We, yeah, we never get an opportunity to sympathize with him in any way because the whole time he's just waving red flags in everybody's faces and you're just like i hate this character yeah and we don't there's not even one scene where you go like oh well i kind of understand his side of it now it's like no no, the whole time he's just crazy and a jerk i don't care for this movie pretty much at all but that being said i think that ellen bernstein's amazing i think she does a fantastic job in this film and and for that matter the the other characters are you know act very well as are are well acted as well yeah all the performances are are great i would agree yeah but the the writing is just bad yeah i think the writing and the direction are both problems but like like cal i think is turning in a terrific performance it's just the character doesn't make sense right what do you think up or down on this one jess i'm gonna give it a down i would not recommend this to anyone richard Uh, i'm actually gonna give it an up uh i i i didn't love the movie um, but I'm far from hated it. Uh, I had never seen it or heard about it. And uh, I think that that it was just really different enough for me to kind of like, okay, well, I, I have a lot of problems with it. I don't disagree with any of the guys points you guys made. And I agree with pretty much with them all too. So I was just like, I, I, I have some issues with the movie, but overall I still kind of found myself enjoying it yeah. a little bit. I'm going to give it a down just because I don't know what the message is here. And I don't think there was any like standout scene where I would be like, you have to see it for this one moment or this one, like the the, the dialogue in this one scene with, with the exception of maybe like, I actually really liked the way the afterlife looked at the very beginning of the movie. But aside from that, there's nothing here that I would feel like you should see it just for this one moment. Yeah. There, there, none of that, none of that is really here. Um, but like I said, Ellen Burstyn's great, but, I still think it's weird that she got a Best Actress nomination for this just because, and and I don't know, do you think it's fair to not nominate someone for a a performance in a bad movie? 
I don't know, because she. I really do like the way she played this as a character. Yeah. I just don't like the story she was given. Um, yeah. It's a hard. That's a hard question. Because it doesn't feel like a movie that would get an Oscar nomination to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels like it gets a little wacky. And uh, especially with her going like, well, <laughs> crazier things have happened. Mm-hmm. I'm going to heal my legs now. I mean, um, I think it's. I think that it's only fair to be able to give somebody a nomination for a movie that's bad as long as they deserve it because of their acting the role. But I don't think that that is usually the case because she's not given a lot of range. Yeah. Well, I, I think she gets more range than a lot of actresses th- this year have, though. I mean, I, no, I'm saying in this in, in within this one movie, she's not given a range to act. I'm saying that she she doesn't change throughout the film, and so I feel like true. at the beginning she's the same sort of calm, mild mannered, loving person that she is at the end. That's true. Again, but now she can bend light. Yeah, she's magical now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, letterboxed. Where's this going, Richard? Um, I have this. Uh, Again, probably much higher than you guys are going to have it, but uh, I have this at number 34. Okay. Uh, It's below My Bodyguard and right above Night of the Juggler. Okay. Jessica? I have this at 96. Okay. (laughs) A little low. I'm right in between you guys. Um, It is below the kidnapping of American President and above effects. Um, And it's so low because it's so not interesting to me. I think that... I would not watch this movie again very readily because there, there's, there's just nothing to it. Because there's, I, I would say there's worse movies that were more interesting to me. Like I would say The Hearse is above it, Little Dragons is above it, but they weren't. It weren't like they were better made movies. They, right. they just had something that was more entertaining to watch. Sure, that makes sense. Um, for me, this is going in number sixty-one, which is right under Alligator and right above Raise the Titanic. Just because as I was moving it up the chart, I couldn't justify in my head putting it above Alligator because I really liked Alligator. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think that's it for this one. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd, where as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through patreon.com slash vintagevideopodcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Stardust Memories, which IMDb describes like so. While attending a retrospective of his work, a filmmaker recalls his life and his loves, the inspiration for his films. We leave you now with the trailer for Stardust Memories. I don't want to make funny movies anymore. They can't force me to. I, you know, I don't feel funny. I, I look around the world and all I see is human suffering. Stardust Memories. Starring Woody Allen. Did, did anybody read on the front page of the Times that matter is decaying? Am I the only one that saw that? The universe is gradually breaking down. There's not going to be anything left. I'm not talking about my stupid little films here. Charlotte Rampling. I'm a nobody with a one-line part, and I, I managed to impress you just by sitting around speed reading Schopenhauer. Yeah, do you understand anything that's No, but I can fake my way through more situations. Yeah? yeah. Well, I got to tell you, I'm fatally attracted to you, so don't blow it. Jessica Harper. You've been kind of looking at me all night. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. I don't. Does it bother you? No, no, no. I mean, I was just wondering. You know, 
I, I, I've never seen such a sexy classical violinist before. I mean, usually they're escaped Hungarians. <laughs> Marie Christine Burrow. I had a very erotic dream about you last night, you know. I hope you brought your, your little tiny white cotton socks that I like, you know, because... Listen, I left my husband. Really? Tony Roberts. Yeah, yeah, she could be very fine and yeah. funny and bright and wonderful exactly. two days a month. Oh. The other 28, she was lost. But what a two days, let me tell you. You are the best kisser. It was my major in college. Hey, look, I'm a super intelligent being. By Earth standards, I have an IQ of 1600, and I can't even understand what you expected from that relationship with Dory. You prefer Isabel? There's no comparison. She's a mature woman. A mature woman? What, what are you, my rabbi? You're gonna get married. I guess, you know, it's a package deal. I get, I get a French wife and I get two kids. I've seen it all before. They try to document their private suffering and fob it off as art. If nothing lasts, why am I bothering to, to make films or do anything for that matter? We enjoy your films, particularly the early funny ones. It's probably one of those killer pigeons. You'll get something for it to eat. <laughs> You want to do mankind a real service? Tell funnier jokes. Yeah, but I, I, I've got to find meaning.